Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 32, Continuous Improvement and Connecting Your Team. With guest, Barry Moline. As a continuous improvement and professional, this has happened to me a lot. I'm put in a room with a group of people I don't know who don't know each other very well either. And we've got to get work done together. My guest today, Barry Moline, thought that he could force groups to collaborate, but he's learned that there's a better way to do it. And he's here today to share his expertise in teamwork and how to get groups to connect first. Barry Moline, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Bella, it's great to be with you, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Barry, I'm very happy to have you here. Your work is very interesting to those of us who work in organizations, which, of course, is almost everybody who, who works in organizations. And the the time that we're in right now is is a very difficult time, isn't it, for, for people who have to work with other people. And I'm wondering, how did you... Um, move in this direction from from your career to, to really start to work on the concepts of collaboration and connection i've spent the vast majority of my career in the world of trade associations and that is groups that uh well you know there's there's two ways to look at this uh when when we hear about those those terrible special special interests in congress or whatever that are out there lobbying for for various groups those are the special interests but they're really just groups of people in society that are representing their members before state legislatures and before uh state agencies and before the congress and before you know federal agencies so things like the airline pilots association or the the uh flight attendants association those are just groups of flight attendants that want their voice to be heard, uh, those associations may provide representation in, in, um, in the halls of government, but they also provide other services too, like education and, uh, and um, you know, keeping folks abreast of, of the latest technologies, um, you know, various publications, what, what's the, what are the best practices in their world? And these, and trade associations exist for every single industry you know out there so if it's uh, for construction for example i work in the world of water and electric utilities uh, uh, publicly owned water and electric utilities and i've been doing that for uh for more than 30 years so it in the world of trade associations we bring people together People come to the association to, to get trained on something. They come to the association to find out what the latest news is. And then we also uh, engage with, with our legislature. I'm out in California. We engage with our legislature uh, on, on what 
the ideas that they might have for changes in the energy and water world. Somebody will propose an idea and we'll say, well, that's an interesting idea. Let's see how we should implement that or what are the pros and the cons of implementing or, or what are some changes that could be made. So it, it's generally not a contentious environment. It's, it's usually more collaborative and trying to solve problems that are in front of us. And all that is sort of prelude or foundation to, I've noticed over the decades in working in this, in this world where I'm constantly bringing people together to try to solve problems, that it's gotten more difficult, that people uh, are, their personalities conflict, they're, they're less collaborative, they're, they're more about me versus you versus let's try to solve this problem over here. And it, as I noticed that, <clears throat> I, I started to, uh, well, actually, I had one particular situation where I was frustrated. I was working in a community where a lot of people were fighting each other. And in a frustrated moment, I said, does anybody get along anywhere? And I started to Google, you know, what are successful organizations or individuals that have collaborated, worked together, solved a problem together? And, and I found a bunch of examples and started to investigate. So I, uh, I, I wrote a book called Connect and, and Connect has 14 case studies in it of individuals and groups that have successfully collaborated. And the, and the examples are, are very wide ranging. <clears throat> and, and then the other half of the book are sort of those lessons learned from the case studies. What are the techniques that people use to actually collaborate quickly? I mean, we can figure out how to work together with folks, but I wanted to try to figure out how to get in a room and quickly uh, work together with a group of people so that everyone felt engaged. So that's the, that's the quick story about one, how the book was written and two, sort of that trend that I've seen. And, and I guess I'd say, you know, my personal mission to try to bring people together so that they can solve more problems faster. So it certainly is a, a challenge today for anyone in the workplace. I was just reading uh, this morning about another incident on an aircraft where a flight attendant was attacked by somebody, um, ended up having to go to the hospital, which was which was really a horrible thing to hear about. So it does seem as if people are incredibly fired up at the moment. And one of the things that I really uh, find interesting about your book is that you've been looking at the how what's been happening from a political uh, point of view has helped to polarize us and has you know to move us in, into directions where we are we find it harder to get along as you you know you ask does it you know can anybody get along what are some of the things that happen when people become politically polarized well, what we're seeing is uh, more on a daily basis, you know, cable news, uh, news in general, where it's uh, the news is presented by one TV station or radio station uh, with a particular perspective. So, you know, MSNBC is on one uh, uh, place on the spectrum and Fox News is on the other. And there there are different stations that are farther out on either side and, and uh, maybe some closer to the middle. 
And we tend to go to those news sources that satisfy or reflect our personal views. And, uh, you know, and so good, we, we, we see the news through various prisms. And then when we go to interact with people, so we just go to, a, you know, a party and we have a conversation with folks about the, the daily news and we're, we're approaching it from completely different ends of the spectrum. It's very easy to, to just choose sides and have a sort of contentious conversation. That, that's just going to a party. Well, we get people together in the workforce and we're, we're having a conversation, you know, we're trying to work on a project together and, you know, it's, it's hard to avoid, you know, current news. And somebody says something, makes a sar sarcastic comment about something. And, and if it's not what you agree with, well, you're going you're gonna to fight back and, and make your sarcastic comment back. And that moves us up. And here's the problem. Okay, so maybe we can say, okay, well, let's not talk about politics anymore. But I'm still angry at you about that. And I may not be talking about it. Now we've got to you know, figure out the numbers in this spreadsheet, or we've got to develop a presentation, or we've got to solve this, this project that we're working on. And I don't really like you. <laughs> so I'm not going to really help you that much. And, and maybe I'll withhold information. And, and so that polarization, it's also exists on social media. And, you know, that's just, I, I, the example I gave was the news, but social media is also highly accessible. Same kind of thing. You know, the, the news that filters through social media is also news that is slanted to our, our interests. The, we, we engage, you know, sort of in a faceless way with people. We call each other names on social media. And those kinds of examples bleed into the rest of our lives where we may be more uh, quick to, you know, make a rash statement. So that, that's the, the snapshot of where we are. And what we need to do is fight those instincts. We need to recognize, okay, well, that's a problem in society. We're not, we're not going to change society overnight. But what we can do is control our own world. We can realize, well, that's a problem. It's good to recognize the problem. Okay, we got a problem. I'm going to do my part in, in avoiding that. When I'm presented with a situation that is heated or one-sided, I'm, maybe I'll bite my tongue and, and say, you know, let's not talk about those issues right now. Let's focus on our project. Or going the other direction, which is what we'll get into today, is let's build bridges that are completely separate from social media and, and the, uh, you know, the, the slanted news from one direction to the other. Let's, let's talk about things that are going on in our lives that have nothing to do with those, you know, things that, uh, you know, for example, I'll just give you one example, you know, let's talk about the kind of shows that we're streaming on our, you know, streaming services, you know, like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and Apple. And maybe we can share some ideas about those and get some, um, some recommendations about some entertainment to watch. And now, we're talking about something positive, something that we're interested in, and we're building a bridge that wasn't there before. And it's not related to politics. It's related to something that we have in common. 
and does something else play into to Barry that that I think right now we're hyper tuned to listening for code words and you do you have a you have a list of some of these code words right so if you know if somebody uses a, a term and i'll just say um you know um an immigrant versus say an illegal if i hear somebody use one term versus the other i am automatically now going to start listening for uh, i'll probably make an assumption about the person and then i will also um start to um make listen for other code words that they're dropping so that i can form a picture of them that may or may not actually be an accurate picture right so I, oh absolutely and and these are sort of linguistic tricks that we we don't even realize that we're we're using or we're being tricked into using they're implanted to us by those those media outlets that we listen to and and then we repeat them and we don't even realize that it might be offensive to to the person we're talking to you know when we use a phrase like that so it's a uh, you know, we we could look at them in the book do you do you want to you want to do that yeah what let's some of do those that. terms are uh do, do you know what page they're on uh i i can i can picture them they are on uh, page 62. All right. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, I mean, they're, they're kind of amazing. I remember when I when I came across these trigger words and I thought this is just uh, I had never really thought about the, the types of words that we use, the choice of words that we use and how they could be offensive to someone else. And, and the, the most um, uh, you know, basic example is something like this. Well, when you um, when you if somebody is is going out to a uh, to play uh, baseball or softball, uh, and they're they're going to they're not going to a game, but they're going to go practice. Well, you you practice a softball game. You know, I mean, you practice. You go to practice. You know, when there's no game. Um, you don't go to rehearsal, you go to practice. That's what it's called. If you go to, if you're an actor and you're uh, getting ready for a play, you don't go to practice, you go to rehearsal. And there, there's, even though the terms are pretty much interchangeable, you know, I mean, I think we could agree that they're, we pretty much know what we mean by those. Uh, they, they have different meanings in those contexts. And so likewise, so that's sort of an innocuous example, but likewise, you know, in the, on the trigger words, you know, th um, these, these, uh, you know, words like, uh, you know, second amendment rights. Okay. Well, that's, uh, you know, the right may, may say that. And then on, on the other side, you'd hear gun control. Okay. So if, if somebody who is a supporter of second amendment rights, they hear gun control, what they hear is you're taking away my guns. Okay. Uh, and you know, a big one out there and we don't, we don't need to get too far into it, but it's, but it's pretty, uh, obvious is, um, you know, pro-choice and pro-life. 
you know, which is related to abortion. And, uh, you know, I don't know anybody that is pro murder, you know, so saying something that is, well, when somebody is pro choice, you know, they're, they're talking about a woman's right to choose. They're not talking about a woman's right to murder, you know, but pro life gives that indication, you know, so I, not to get too controversial, but, uh, but, you know, that's the, um, that's that. And the thing is that, you know, as you say about these trigger words, they, they kind of have two effects. First is, is when we hear them, depending on how we are aligned in society, we may have a reaction to them. And secondly, when we hear somebody else using them, we can start to make all kinds of assumptions about that person, which may or may not be true. And we stop listening. Exactly. That's true. Even some things like, you know, a camouflage jacket versus a rainbow flag, you know, oh, well, we know everything about that person just because they're wearing a particular jacket or they've got a flag on their on their shoulder. Or if you mentioned Sean Hannity versus Rachel Maddow, you know, we know all of the values behind those individuals. So if you're mentioning those names, obviously you're in line behind those folks. So yeah, the, the trick is to be on the lookout for those and not, and this is the key, and not to get caught up in it, to recognize, huh, well, maybe I'm being baited here in this conversation, or maybe, I, you know, like we're, we're about to come up to Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving holiday, and we're getting together with relatives. And you know what? We love our relatives and, and they come from all different backgrounds and flavors and so on. We want to have a good holiday. Some of our relatives we disagree with. Well, how do we have those conversations when they're saying Sean Hannity or Rachel Maddow and we sort of disagree with that perspective? And what we do is we say, you know what? I'd rather keep this person as a relative than, uh, than have a, a confrontation with them over politics. So, you know, at Thanksgiving, we'll say, hey, we, this is Thanksgiving, you know, let's just focus on the holiday and, and the good things around why we love each other rather than those hot topics. And so the, but still the point is from those trigger words is to be aware that they are trigger words and, and that you don't want to step into the negativity of what that kind of conversation could create. So uh, just being aware is, is step one. And so that you won't have to get triggered yourself. So I'm thinking about the situation that a lot of us are in right now. Um, people are starting to come back into offices. Um, people have been working for a long time over Zoom or, or Teams or, or whatever. Um, you've, you've had a tiny little glimpse into people's houses and perhaps a tiny little glimpse of, you know, their pets or their kids. Um, but we haven't really worked together. And now we're, now we're coming back together. We're all working together again. Some of us may still be remote. I think a lot of people are going to continue to be remote. As someone who is leading or facilitating a group, how might you start to bring people back together and start to create um, an atmosphere of connection and collaboration right from the beginning? I think we have to be deliberate in this process. 
And as you laid the this foundation of where we are, you know, we're we're remote, where we may still be remote, we're sort of out of practice with with engaging with folks in a in a casual way. When we get on a Zoom, we just start into work. You know, we just we just get on the get into the meeting. Whereas if we're in person, we will likely, you know, come into the room, get our coffee, you know, put our materials down. You know, we'll start to have some casual conversations about the weekend, you know, last weekend or what's coming up next weekend. And these casual conversations are actually bridges that we're building with each other. But if we're doing them on or, or if we're just getting right into the meeting on Zoom, we're we're uh, we're leaving that on the table We're we're losing that opportunity. So I think that we need to intentionally spend a few minutes with our cohorts who are on our Zoom or Teams meeting and and do a quick icebreaker and go around and and say, uh, you know, how was your weekend? Tell us one interesting thing that happened last weekend. And rather than just say, how was your weekend? You know, be specific. What was one interesting thing from your weekend? Everybody, 15 seconds, you know, let's go around. And if people don't want to say anything, that's okay. But hopefully people will say something, you know, oh, I went hiking, you know, in the mountains, or I went down to the beach, or I went to, you know, my kid's soccer game. And it doesn't have to be anything uh, you know, earth shattering. It's just, you know, one interesting thing, one highlight. And what happens is that when we do that, we learn a little bit about each other. We learn, oh, we, they have families or they like to go hiking or they like to go bowling or they watched, you know, an interesting show on, on TV. And whatever it is, we just go, you know, I, I, I kind of like her. I, I kind of like him. I don't know why, but now as we get into the project, we're, we've built a little bit of a bridge and later, when we talk to that person one-on-one, we can go back to, you know, tell me more about that hike, because I like to hike too. And that sounds like an interesting hike. Was it hard? Was it easy? You know, could a kid do it? Could a dog do it? You know, tell me more about it. And, and now we're building a bridge. Now, I, I will tell you that I, I've been a CEO for 26 years, and I didn't like yeah i've seen these icebreakers for many years and for a long time i didn't like them i didn't like icebreakers because i thought they're a waste of time oh so i'm in a meeting somebody else is leading the meeting they say hey let's do an icebreaker you know what would be the name of your yacht if you had a yacht and we come up with you know names for our yachts or another one i think was you know what was your what's your favorite comfort food that you know that your family cooked that you, you still think about and you maybe cook occasionally that makes you feel good. And, uh, and I thought, why are we doing this? This is just stupid. You know, we're going around the room, everybody just in five or 10 seconds says their thing. And we just wasted seven minutes, you know, and, and I'm going to be in a meeting with these people for four hours, but we just wasted seven minutes. Why are we doing this? And that was that was the question I was going to ask you, Barry. I said that is very un CEO like talk to say, let's do an icebreaker. Right. But then I learned, I paid attention. And what happens is that 
we take a break after an hour. And then at the break, people are chatting with each other about like, you know, mac and cheese, that's my comfort food too. And, you know, gosh, and, and they tell a story about their mom or their grandmother making that. And, you know, something goes back in time and they, they tell each other these couple of stories, they make a connection. And then, you know, we, we finish our coffee break, we get back to work. And now we go like, you know, the people in this room, you know, yeah, I kind of like them, you know, that we, we've got a thing going here. Let's, let's keep working on this project because this is important, not, not to my organization. It's important to my, to the people in this room. And I like the people in this room and I want to do a good job for them. That's how we develop teams. Teamwork is not, I mean, this is, uh, you know, spoiler alert, you know, we like our organizations, you know, but we, we really work for the people that are in our orbit. We work, that's why we go to work. And if we don't like the people we work with, then we look for another job. That's just a thing we do. So <clears throat> bad bosses are, the, are what's responsible for people leaving jobs all the time. That's the biggest um, rationale. It's not, you know, you might work for a great organization. Uh, you might work for a great organization, but if the boss is no good or the people on your team are no good, you're not going to stick around. So if we, if we learn to like those people, if we learn about each other, we have a much greater chance of working better together. So what I found was these icebreakers, they always work. They always work. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. <clears throat> I was in a meeting. It was a negotiation with uh, an, an attorney. And it was a group of folks. It was about a half a dozen. And we were, were talking about a tough issue. My organization, and I was representing them, was, you know, had, had one particular, uh, you know, slanted view, I wouldn't say extreme, but, you know, we had a perspective and his organization had another view and we were just not meshing. We weren't coming to a place where we could compromise. And it, we didn't know each other. We just like plopped in a room and said, okay, well, let's just start talking about the issue. And this was a face-to-face -face meeting. It was a couple of years ago. And, um, there was, we had a break and Matt, the, the lead attorney on the other side and I stayed at the table. We were just late to getting up and going to get coffee or going to the restroom. And I thought, well, you know, I wrote this book. Let me try something from the book. <laughs> and, I, and I said, so Matt, you have any hobbies? And, and he tilted his head like, you're asking like a personal question, like, okay, yeah, yeah, I have a hobby. Uh, well, what? <laughs> uh, fire dancing, like fire dancing, like what's fire dancing? And then he stood up and he, and he sort of flailed his arms around in circles and, and he took out his phone and he showed me a picture, sort of a video of him fire dancing. And, and I don't know, it's hard to describe, but you can imagine, you know, somebody with, with batons of fire and, and making circles with them. And you see this, you know, you see the fire, you know, moving around anyway. So he does this obviously before people in, in dark places, mostly outdoors where it's safe. And uh, I thought like, wow, this is incredible. And then he asked me, do you have any hobbies? And I, I thought, well, uh, you know, I play hockey 
And I've been playing for decades ever since I was a kid and I still play. And it's like hockey, like that's crazy. Don't you get hurt? Like, no, it's a, it's a beer league. You know, we just, we play hockey and then we drink beer, you know, we just have fun and we laugh a lot on the ice, but it's, it's not like the NHL, you know, it's not professional. So we laughed a little bit about our fire dancing and our hockey. And then we got back together in the meeting and the whole tone had changed. And we just, we thought, okay, well, where do we agree? Where do we disagree? And now let's, let's focus on trying to resolve the couple of things that we, that we're disagreeing on. And maybe we can build a couple of bridges and we figured it out. We figured it out. And now every time that I have to get together with Matt, the, the fire dancer, we always talk about fire dancing and hockey. We catch up on that first for two minutes and, and then we get into what we need to. And it's, it's a much lighter, much friendlier conversation. And we are eager to try to resolve our problems than we are to try to divide each other apart. And, and that's just one example. I can give you many others, but that was one that was so stark to me because it was kind of the first time that I, had, I knew that I had a problem and I thought, well, let me use a technique from the book and it actually worked. And it so, worked. Well, that good thing. So one thing I was thinking about the icebreakers, uh, Barry, and it, it's helped for me to hear you explain this. In, in, for some people, an icebreaker can be very scary. So for somebody perhaps who is um, in uh, a same-sex marriage and they're not sure that other people in their workplace will accept them, asking them a question like, you know, what did you do last weekend can be a scary question because they might end up revealing something that they don't feel ready or safe to reveal. But what you're talking about is as uh, asking questions that are in a way a little bit more specific, like, you know, what, you know, what was something great you did last weekend? You don't necessarily have to reveal something you're not ready to reveal. And also that you, you're keeping it really short, right? You're not asking people for a five minute dissertation. So it's, 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 um, it's about really focusing it on the person not necessarily on things that they may not be ready or comfortable to talk about. Yeah, exactly. That that's it. You don't want to get too deep into the conversation. One of the things that scares me about icebreakers is we, we get like, you know, to, you know, get, go to the psychoanalysis, you know, questions like, no, no, I don't want to do that. Let's just do very high level stuff. You know, what name one show that you're streaming and, you know, and what platform is it on? And then later we'll ask those questions at the break about why you like Ted Lasso or billionaires or who knows what. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and, and that way we can, the purpose is to follow up later. And, and even the question like, you know, do you have any hobbies? Well, you know, pretty much everybody does something outside of work, even if it's just watching TV. Uh, and it, you know, just a, a little glimpse. And I, and I agree with you, it shouldn't be too personal. And I, I believe that in certain situations, where the, the supervisor needs to be aware of that level of discomfort. So if they notice an employee is not quite comfortable with this, then, and, and I would tend to see these kinds of things 
where you might have a cultural difference. So if you have uh, somebody on a team who is from a different country and maybe their language isn't perfect, their, their English language isn't perfect, and they don't really quite un grasp why we're doing this, it, it's incumbent on the supervisor to, if they notice this is happening, although this particular employee isn't quite getting that, to go to that employee later and to say, hey, we're, we did th this icebreaker. You know, the reason why we're doing it is just to get to know our colleagues a little bit. And when we get together for the next meeting, I'll tell you in advance what the icebreaker is going to be and, and give you a heads up so that you're better prepared and we can talk about it and you have a greater level of comfort in, in participating. And, and actually, even if you don't wanna to get too personal, you can even say, just tell us an interesting challenge that's going on at work. And you know, we all have challenges. I'm, I, I have a list, a to-do list, and every item on my to-do list, the reason it's not done is because there's a little challenge associated with it, <laughs> whether it's time or just bringing people together or just, you know, I got to figure out a few things to get that thing done. So there's a challenge with every single one of those items. And tell us about one of your challenges, you know, and, and uh, you know, in 30 seconds or less, or in a project that you completed recently, tell us a lesson that you learned from it. Again, those are two questions focusing on work and uh, and you don't have to get too personal. And that um, and I love what you're saying about the supervisor or, or the facilitator, the, the manager, whoever it is, really being tuned in, really paying attention. So yeah, you know, as much as they, they're, they're watching people, they're really listening. Yeah, there, there's uh, McKinsey and Company did research on companies that engage with their employees and, and help them get to know each other and companies that do nothing. And what they found is, and this is fascinating. So they, they identified those two groups of companies that engage and don't engage. And then they asked the employees in, in each of those types of companies, do you feel as though this company is more productive or less productive? And what they found is that in those companies where they practiced this employee engagement, the employees said that they were 84% more productive. And in the companies that did nothing, those employees said they were 7% more productive. So if you look at the difference between 84 and seven, it's a 12 times difference. So for companies that spend the, the effort to get their employees working together, it's a 12x difference in productivity. And what that means is that for projects where people come together and work together, they wanna to do a good job for each other and, and they do. Uh, and so there's, there's scientific rationale for doing the, you know, these effectively doing these icebreakers and getting people working together. And, you know, who doesn't, who wants to work for a company that has low productivity? You know, I think most people would say, yeah, I want to work at a company that has high productivity. Well, productivity is linked to employees engaging together. So you could tell the Barry of today could tell the Barry Moline, CEO of the past, who was who was complaining about the icebreakers, what the uh, 
impact would that would be on the organization? Well, I I'm yes, there's no question. And you know, when I think back on just my career, uh, I can tell you that I have I've hired people, I've worked with people on teams that have uh, that have been difficult, and I was part of the process of putting those people in the room together and I did nothing about it. So I was on, in certain circumstances, I was on the low end of the spectrum there for productivity. And I, I realized at some point in, in my career that, yeah, I can control this. You know, I can, I can hire people not based on their expertise only, but rather on their get along ability. You know, or at least ask those questions in the interview and try to tease out some of those uh, those characteristics. You know, is it are you a my way or the highway kind of person or are you more flexible? And, uh, you know, bottom line is I started hiring people based on get along ability and less so on their subject matter expertise, because I can train them if they are if they're if they can get along better with people. And I, I focused on that. And now the, the work environment is so much happier. It's happier for the teammates. We're much more productive. We can, you know, any kind of problem can come up and we just look at it and go like, yeah, that's, a, that's quite a problem. Let, let's try to figure this out. We don't know the answer as opposed to pointing fingers saying like, well, you're the one that should figure it out. You know, you figure it out and come back to us and then we'll tell you what's wrong with it. <laughs> anyway, the, the point is um, when, when you bring people together that are there on the team and because they're there to be, uh, because they know each other and they know their hearts, they want to get the job done for each other and the organization is much more productive. I can tell you that in my world, I, I'm I'm working at an organization right now that I mean the California Municipal uh, Utilities Association. We are extremely productive, and it's because we hired people on our on our staff uh, and and did some additional training on our staff to make sure that everybody's on the same page on get along ability. We really focus on that issue. I love that term, get along ability. Barry, you have a superb resource for people who uh, want to use uh, some of these icebreakers. Um, I know a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast are people involved in leading teams and facilitating groups. So uh, where do we find the, um, the, the icebreakers uh, handout? The icebreakers handout is two pages, and it's, it's a great list of icebreaker activities it's on my website at barrymoline.com slash resources. So uh, I guess you'll, you'll put those in the show notes. We don't have to spell it all out. Yeah. It will be in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and it's like I say, two pages, they're workplace appropriate. So they're not too personal. They're just meant to get the conversation going. And, and let me tell you one that I personally love and I use all the time. And that is, and the reason why I use it all the time is because I, sometimes I'm in the work environment. Sometimes I'm at a party in my neighborhood and I don't know 
if the person I'm talking to is retired, or you know, they might be working, they might be retired. And sometimes the first question we want to ask people is, you know, what do you do for a living? And if you're talking to a retired person, they'll feel like, well, I'm retired. And like, well, now what are we going to talk about? Like, do you set an alarm clock in the morning? Like, I don't know what to, to ask you about, you know? Uh, or you could be talking to a kid, you know, maybe somebody in junior high school or high school. And you're like, well, what do we talk about there? You don't have, you know, what's your major? You, well, you don't really have a major, you know? So one question that I love to ask people is what's got your attention these days? And that question, what's got your attention these days? Everybody's thinking about something. And it, it, I've used it so many times, particularly with those two groups, retirees and young people who are students. And they might be talking about, you know, a course that, we're, that they're working on or a report that they're writing, or, or somebody who's retired might talk about, you know, a recent vacation or, or an upcoming vacation, or they might talk about their grandchildren who they might be babysitting for and whatever, whatever they say, it gives you a channel to talk about something you can ask a follow-up question on. And it works in every situation. What's got your attention these days? I love it. And I highly recommend it for everyone. That's a great question. And I'm just thinking also when you have perhaps people who have been laid off and haven't found their next position yet. And that's a, it's a super question to ask, to ask anyone. Barry, I'd like to um, uh, ask you to wrap up for us by thinking back on what you've learned over the years and what would be your advice to a young person starting out in their career? Well, I, I think I would say two things. It's hard to, it's hard to, decide which one is most important. I think they're both equally important. But number one is, is be accountable. And, and that means, um, you know, whatever you do, uh, take responsibility. You know, you're doing something, do the best you can. And then whatever it is you produce, whatever ideas you come up with, those are your ideas. And, and, say that, be accountable to that. If somebody, uh, if you're responsible for getting something done, get it done. And it doesn't matter where you are in your life, in your career, take responsibility for the things that are in front of you. And I think it's a key element, being accountable of leadership. If you, if you're in the mailroom and your job is to, you know, get the things sorted, you know, that are in front of you and you're responsible for that. Well, you're taking the leadership to get that done. You don't have to be the CEO to be accountable. You're accountable at every level in the organization. So number one is be accountable, be responsible and, and get done the tasks that, you know, that you're assigned and that you're, uh, you're responsible for and, and take the credit and take the blame. If they go right, that's great. If they go wrong, figure out what, what happened and, but say, yeah, that was me. You know, yeah, I did that and let's try to fix it. Either way, doesn't matter, um, but be responsible uh, and accountable. And then the second is uh, be persistent. I found over the years that 
um, I, I'm kind of an ideas person. I, I see something and I go like, oh, well, there's, there's a good idea. Let's run over there and do that. And oh, shiny penny, let's, let's go over there and do that. And I found that when I became a CEO, I can't do that anymore because now I'm responsible for the budget and I'm responsible for the people. And I can't have people running off in, in crazy directions doing things that are not focused on the mission. And, and we don't have the money to just hire new staff or consultants to get things done. So I, I created a, you know, a list of sort of like my crazy ideas list, but just ideas. So if I have ideas, I just put it on the list. And then I look at that list frequently because the list is actually on page two of my things to do list. So I have a things to do list and then I have my ideas list and they're right there. And, and uh, so I, I look at that list once in a while and I, and I think, huh, you know, I think that we could, we could do something on this. And I try to remember to persist, to keep that idea, you know, sort of in the mix of what's going on in my head. And maybe at the right moment, we have the resources, we have the people or the need comes along and like, yeah, we can do this now. So be persistent. Don't give up, you know, have that grit to continue going. And you'd be amazed at how much you can accomplish by just persisting, by just keeping moving, keeping, uh, you know, a good attitude. And, uh, and I I've accomplished a lot by just following up and following up and, and, waiting for that right moment to implement an idea because I just didn't let it go. It doesn't mean you push it when everybody else is saying, just quit it, Barry, just quit it. You've, you've got to find the right moment. But still, when you know you've got an interesting idea, keep it top of mind and be persistent. So it's not just being persistent, which is, which is a great thing to, to do. It's really being, all, being persistent about not letting those ideas go by the wayside. Keep them right. on the list. Move yes. them forward at the right time. Absolutely. Great advice. Thank you, Barry Moline. And Barry, uh, Barry's book is Connect with an exclamation point. Uh, how to quickly collaborate for success in business and life. And uh, he has this uh, on his website. There is the list of icebreakers. So give them a try. Thank you so much, Barry Moline, for joining us at the Edges of Lean. Thank you, Bella. It's been great talking with you. I really enjoyed the conversation. This is Bella Engelberg, and I'd like to thank Barry Moline for being my guest on the Edges of Lean. What are you going to do to help your teams connect? Let us know what you think. And if you like the Edges of Lean, the best thing you can do for this podcast is to tell a friend. Have them check us out on YouTube or on any of your favorite podcast players. And also check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com for more great lean and continuous improvement content every single week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg. This is a Lean for Humans production.